Good morning, Highland Community Church. I hope that it is a great day together to worship the Lord. Before we pray and get to our text, let me remind us that next week we're going to have one service at Willow Springs, but we'll still live stream so you can watch it from the comfort of your living room. And the week after that, we're going to have 9 o'clock at Willow Springs and 10.30 in Merrill and Weston. If you have a compromised immune system, please remain at home. If anyone in your family is sick, please, please remain at home. Why are we going outside for the summer? Well, there are a number of reasons. We have a medical group in our church that has given us that advice, and, and they have thought long and hard about it. More recently, uh, Dr. Farley from John Hopkins and Dr. Brenner from UCLA have done some tests and discovered that even in the best conditions, inside does not compare to outside for safety. It will dissipate any dangerous virus much quicker outside than inside, and even the sun attacks the virus. However, these studies tell us that social distancing is a big deal. I know we're going to get together with people and we're going to want to shake their hands and hug them. Please don't. Please don't put this opportunity to worship outside in jeopardy. Let's practice wisdom as we worship together next week and the weeks after. Please do that. Thank you. Let's bow, shall we, in a word of prayer. Father God, uh, we thank you that we have the opportunity today to be impacted by your inspired and errant word. We thank you for the songs that we've sung and the prayers that we've uttered. And now as we look at your word, we pray that you would impress it upon our hearts, challenge us, encourage us, move us, in ways that advance your kingdom, bring glory to your name, cause us to be more in likeness to your son, Jesus. Give us the mind of Christ and help us to live out the mind of Christ. Guide us, we ask this morning, in the name of Christ, amen. Sidekicks. You've probably seen them in movies, in comics, Sidekicks are the understudies. They're the individuals who probably don't get the respect they should. Sometimes they get the grunt work, the dirty work. There are lots of famous sidekicks. I think of Boy Wonder, Robin. You remember Robin, right? He's the sidekick to Batman. I mean, if sidekicks get the short end of the stick, it's Robin. I mean, think about it. The guy's cape it's kind of inferior. Batman has all the good toys. And Robin wears, well, tights that are too tight. I mean, he's wearing skinny jeans before they were popular. Yet together with Batman, they protect Gotham City. They go against the Riddler, the Joker, the Penguin, Mr. Freeze, and the like. Sidekicks play an important role. I think of Chewbacca. If you're a Star Wars fan, he's kind of a, a hairy Bigfoot look-alike. He's a big softy, isn't he? He's the opposite of his friend Han Solo, who's kind of arrogant and rugged. 
Chewbacca is a mechanical whiz who keeps the Millennium Falcon in the air. And he's just such a lovable guy. I think of uh, Ethel Mertz. You remember her? The, the sidekick of Lucy Ricardo. These two got in all sorts of trouble. They did all sorts of crimes together, causing their on-screen husbands to pull out their hair. They made America laugh, did they not? She was a great sidekick. One more. I think of Shrek and Donkey, the sidekick. Uh, you know, as I think of Shrek and Donkey, I got to tell you, they both remind me of a, a co-worker or two of mine. Huh, you say. Who reminds me of Shrek? Hmm. Who reminds me of Donkey? Huh. Wouldn't you like to know? But some things are probably left best unsaid. But I'll tell you what, if you got time in your hands and you're a budding artist, I would love for a few pictures of some of my co-workers in the body of the ogre Shrek or donkey. So just put it together, pencil, use your computer, painting, send them to me. The one I like best, I'll send you a gift card from Bricks. Shrek, he's the lovable green ogre, isn't he? He's kind of gruff on the outside, but he's tender on the inside. He's kind of a big teddy bear. And Donkey? Donkey talks too much. He's kind of annoying, but he's really loyal and rather lovable. Sidekicks. Sidekicks often get the short end of the stick, but they are a big part of what gets done. They do some of the important work. They're not appreciated enough. Well, the Apostle Paul had a sidekick, an understudy. His name was Timothy. I want to pick up in our text, and I want to read from Philippians 2, verses 19 to 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord. Shortly, I myself will also come. Now, you remember our immediate context. We were talking about putting on the mind of Christ in the passage just preceding it. In fact, we have Jesus, who did not consider equality with the Father something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. And in fact, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And because of that, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, the name Lord, Kurios, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The passage is all about humility. It's all about servanthood. And we're given the ultimate example, and that example is Jesus Christ. And then we're given a human example, and that example is Timothy. Now, you and I remember our setting, right? Paul has been incarcerated for the last four years, three months. 
He's been incarcerated for two years up north near Tel Aviv in Israel. And then he gets on a ship and he is shipwrecked on the island of Malta while being under house arrest. For three months, he's on the island of Malta. And then he gets to Rome in two years. He's chained between the Praetorian Guard, the nine or 10,000 Roman elite soldiers. And all during this time, Paul yearns to go and be with the Philippians. He wrote them a letter 10 years earlier in AD 51. It's been 10 years. He probably hasn't seen them since. He wants to go back. He wants to strengthen the church, but he can't get there. He's under house arrest. So he does the next best thing. He sends his understudy. He sends his sidekick. Now, one of the questions I think that is really relevant, but we have no certainty of it, is how old is Timothy at the time in which Paul sends him as his apostolic representative to Philippi? Well, there's lots of reasons to conclude that he's about 25. He might be 24, might be 23, could be 26, but I think 25 is a rather good guess. And so Paul, this apostle, this giant of the faith, can't get to the church that he planted. And so he sends his understudy, and his understudy happens to be 25 years old. Now you and I have to understand that in their day and age, they valued age. They really did. Now the Old Testament talks a lot about the value of old age. But remember, in Philippi, it's mostly a Gentile church. They're not steeped in the Old Testament. They don't know the Old Testament passages. But we can be fairly sure in northern Greece at this time, mid-first century A.D., that they have the same values about old age. Values like these from the Old Testament. Job, chapter 12, the 12th verse Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. Or Proverbs 16, 31. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Or Proverbs 20, verse 29. It says this. The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Or Leviticus 19, verse 32. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. So they lived in a day and age that valued old, age, maturity, seniority, because of the wisdom that is gained through the experience of life. And I trust that many of you have similar values of those who are senior ahead of you, your parents, your aunts, your uncles, your grandparents, that you value and you listen wisely to the wisdom of those who are several decades older. But frankly, as a society, we don't do very well with this. In fact, think of the two standard bearers of the two main political parties. What does the media say about them? They say we have two old white guys. And that's not written as a compliment. And I'm not talking about 
white or male. I, I don't care about those. I'm talking about the age part. Sometimes we don't value age enough. Now, I'm not suggesting that standard bearers need to be in their 70s or 60s or 50s. I'm just saying that there is value in understanding life, experiencing life. And if you, I, we want to go further and further in life, we will surround ourselves and listen to not just our peers and not even primarily our peers, but those who are older, more seasoned, more mature in life, who have experienced life. There's wisdom in that. And so I think it was rather staggering when Timothy, age 25, shows up. I think the church at Philippi is like, whoa, what just happened? We were waiting for the apostle and we get his sidekick, we get his understudy, and the guy's like 25 years old. Well, herein lies a second principle. Although we ought to get wiser with age, and if we're not wiser at age 70 than we were at age 30, we have wasted our lives. But we don't need to get to 70 before we're wise. Remember what scripture says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to be wise? Fear God, serve God, live for God, know God's word, live God's word out, and you can do that under 10, under 20, under 30, under 40, all of life. And so here we have Timothy, who hasn't yet experienced life. He's going to get wiser and wiser with age, and yet there's a lot of wisdom in his life because he fears the Lord, he fears God's word, and he lives out God's word. We fail to do that. Again, I think that when Timothy arrived, the Philippians probably scratched their heads. They were perplexed. Really, this is who you're sending? And imagine how they were impacted as they got to know Timothy. I think their perplexity probably was similar to what happened when I was in grad school. When I was in grad school, a lot of the churches around when they needed pulpit supply would call up Trinity Seminary and they'd say, hey, for the next couple of weeks, would you send a professor to fill our pulpit? And the office would try and find enough professors, but there were never enough professors. So when they ran out of professors, they called me. Not because I was smart. Not because I was gifted. <laughs> Absolutely not. They called me because I was Mr. Yes Man. I would go anywhere for the opportunity to preach. I knew I needed to get better. And so poor Betty Ann, we would get up before the sun sometimes and, and we would drive to Wisconsin or in Illinois or somewhere in Iowa just to arrive. And you can imagine what this church thought they were expecting Dr. XYZ and they got 25 year old me. And it really wasn't all that impressive. In fact, it was kind of demoralizing. Not only their response to me, but my gifts towards them. Well, I think that's how Philippi probably felt when they expected Paul and they got Timothy. Indeed, Five years after this event, in AD 65-66, Paul writes this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. He says, 
let no one despise you, Timothy, for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. That's five years later. Timothy at that point is like 30. And yet in their culture, although people didn't have longevity of life, those who lived into their 50s and 60s, those were the ones you wanted to listen to. Because they respected age, they respected wisdom, they respected what comes in life if you pay attention and you learn and you apply it rightly through the lens of Scripture. And what they got was the sidekick, the stand-in. They got Timothy. Younger church attenders, be a Timothy. Be a Timothy. Age will give you wisdom. It ought to give you wisdom. If you, I, we are paying attention, we ought to be wiser in our 20s and in our teens, wiser in our 30s and in our 20s, wiser in our 40s and in our 30s. If that's not happening, we are fools. We're fools. But don't wait for those years. Still serve God. I love Timothy because even at a relatively young age, he was an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, just like so many of you. Continue to serve. Continue to live for God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Be wise as you take God's word, hide it in your heart, and live out God's word. But not only was the church probably shocked at the youth of Timothy, but he wasn't the toughest or gruffest guy. He really wasn't what we would call a man's man. He was a little more timid. Second uh, Timothy 1.7. This is a, a letter that Paul writes to Timothy, teaching him how to pastor the church at Ephesus. And the text says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power. What scholars believe is that this is, this is directly at, directed at Timothy. Timothy is 30 years old at this point. And Paul says, Timothy, Timothy, come on, man. Man up. And I don't mean that in a sexist sort of way. What Paul is saying is, if you're going to lead, lead. Be a leader. Make the tough choice. Do the tough thing. Do it on your knees, but, but lead. But Timothy was timid. In fact, listen to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16:10, that's written six years before our text for today. When Timothy comes to you, put him at ease. Or, or I love the way the NIV puts it. When Timothy comes to you, see that he has nothing to fear because that's what's going to happen. Timothy is the timid, cowardly lion. He's not very bold. And Paul says, hey, if you're going to lead, you got to lead. So he's young, he's timid, and he's also sickly. He's not a sturdy, strong sort of guy. In an almost unparalleled verse, Paul dones a physician's garb and he offers a prescription. 1 Timothy 5, 23, no longer drink just water, but a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. What scholars think is that he's got so much anxiety in his life, he has so much worry in his life, that he actually has ulcers. And Paul, who probably knows nothing about being a physician, says, hey, you know what? 
I, I don't know if this is true. I kind of heard this news, but you know, if you, if you don't just drink water, but a little wine, maybe that'll help those, those ulcers in your stomach. The point is this, not the medical prescription, but Timothy is timid. Timothy is young. Timothy is timid. Timothy is sickly. And so you can imagine what goes on in Philippi. Paul hasn't been there for 10 years. He plants the church in AD 51. And then perhaps, very unlikely, he caught it on the last backtrack of that first missionary journey. Very unlikely, or second missionary journey. Very unlikely. And, and then he's wanted to get back to the church for the last 10 years. But you remember, the last four years, three months, he's been preoccupied. A prison in near Caesarea uh, Maritima, Tel Aviv area. Uh, island of Malta, and then the last two years in Rome, and, and so he sends Timothy. And you can just picture how it's going to go when Timothy shows up. I mean, who's the least masculine guy you know? I don't know. I think uh, on TV it might be uh, Urkel from Family Matters, or uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Never saw it, but I understand he's kind of a wimpy guy. Or... Um, George McFly from uh, um, whatever that time travel movie is. I can't remember it. These guys are not tough guys. This is Timothy. And yet Paul writes, verses 20 to 22, I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. That phrase, I have no one like him, means there is nobody of his spiritual equal. He may be 25, but in the kingdom, he's 85. He's grown in maturity. He's grown in wisdom. He's imitated Paul. He's imitated Christ. He's had God's word in his heart. He has fear for the Lord. He lives out that fear in a God-honoring way. And Paul says, I have no one like him. Now understand that that Paul and Timothy are kind of different guys. Uh, Timothy is kind of sickly and Paul is kind of rugged. We know a lot about Paul. We we have a second century, mid-century document entitled Acts of Paul and Thecla. And it describes Paul this way. Small in size. Now what that really means is well-balanced, one of God's masterpieces. That's what it means. Small in size, bald-headed, bow-legged, well-built. With eyebrows that meet, he's kind of a unibrow guy. A rather long-nosed, don't know why they added the D, and full of grace. The part I'm looking for is well-built. He might be vertically challenged, but he's strong. He can pump iron. He's gone on three missionary journeys, covering thousands of miles in Europe and Asia and the Middle East. He's a tough guy, and generally a tough guy and a timid guy, a tough guy and a sickly guy don't get along. But Paul looks beyond 
the physical specimen and he sees the spiritual specimen. And he said, I got to tell you, I have no one like Timothy. He is my standard. He is my sidekick. He's the guy I'm sending to you. Listen to him. Don't just base it on age because even if you're young, if you're living for the Lord, you can be used mightily by God. Now, if Paul had a sidekick, I got to tell you, it's Timothy. How do we know? Well, two of Paul's 13 books are actually written to Timothy as he's pastoring the church at Ephesus. That's First and Second Timothy. 16 times Paul mentions Timothy in his 13 epistles. Six times in those 13 epistles, Paul mentions Timothy kind of in the, the beginning as though Timothy is the underwriter of the epistle being guided by God's spirit along with Paul. Four times, Paul calls Timothy my son or my heir. I think of Acts 17. Paul has gone to Thessalonica. He's planted the church. He's there for three weeks and he's run out of the city. His life is threatened. If he goes back into Thessalonica, he will be put to death. So who does Paul send? 1 Thessalonians 3, 6. He sends Timothy. I can imagine that Timothy is shaking in his boots. I can imagine that Timothy is terrified. Who wants to go to Thessalonica? Who wouldn't be afraid? Paul has been run out on a rail. He has been within an inch of being martyred. He can't go back and he sends in Timothy. And I love this. Maybe you're here today and and you're timid. Maybe you're here today and you're fearful. You can't control that. But you can control if you allow it to limit your service to God. Timothy is timid. Timothy is fearful. And yet he trusts God enough. And he believes that he has been called by God to advance the kingdom. So he goes to Thessalonica, even though Paul has almost been martyred for the faith there, and he does ministry. He is not immobilized by his fear and timidity, but in spite of his fear and timidity, he moves forward, empowered by God's spirit, to do God's work because the kingdom matters more than his own safety or security. And so he moves forward for the kingdom. I think of Corinth. I'm going to tell you a little secret about pastors. It's probably true in all professor, professions, but pastors know which churches we want to pastor and which ones we don't. And pastors know which sheep bite. We know which sheep are particularly ornery and not nice to be around. We know those things. If ever in the New Testament, there was a church that no pastor wanted to pastor, that church was Corinth. The place was a mess. The people were mean. They're always choosing sides. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. There is a mess. So back in AD 55, Six years prior to the writing of Philippians, when the church at Corinth is on the verge of a split and Paul can't get there, who does he send? 
Timothy. Did you do the math? 25 minus 6 is 19. The church is on the verge of a split. The apostle can't get there and he sends a 19-year-old. Isn't that what the text says? Let me read it to us. 1 Corinthians 4, 17. This is why I sent to you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Teenagers, you can do serious ministry for the kingdom. Don't say I'm too young. And seniors, don't say I'm too old. Let's stop using age as an excuse not to do ministry. All of us are called to advance God's kingdom. You're never too old for ministry. You're never too young for ministry. And you're never too young, old, middle-aged for significant ministry. It is mind-boggling that the most difficult church that we know a lot of in the entire New Testament, the church at Corinth, when it's about to be split, Paul the Apostle sends a 19-year-old because God has gifted him, because the fear of the Lord is in his life, because he has the wisdom of learning from Paul. He has the wisdom of learning from Scripture. And even though he's afraid and he's young and he's sickly, he will not allow his limitations to limit his work. And he goes forward and he's used by God mightily. And you, my friend, Me, we can be used mightily by God. Age is never an excuse. Timidity is not an excuse. Sickliness, not an excuse. Seize the day, carp diem, advance the kingdom, be used by God mightily. May you, I, we be used by God for God's kingdom. He's used because he's a servant. He has the mind of Christ on himself. In this regard, I think of something that took place on January 31, 1973. I know that's a long time ago. At the time, uh, Senator John Stennis, he served for 41 years for the state of Mississippi. He was a progressive Democrat. He was in Washington, D.C. It had been a long day. He was walking back from parking his car to his apartment. He was looking for a little R&R, a little rest and relaxation. And and suddenly two teenagers with guns stood him up. And they said, sir, give us your money. And Senator John Stennis was wise. He handed over his wallet with all his credit cards. He handed over his gold watch. He gave him his five beta kappa key. He even had a quarter and he handed that over. And then the two muggers said, well, thank you, but we're going to shoot you anyway. And they shot Senator John Stannis, who was the chairman of the Armed Forces Service Committee. A powerful man. Soon after, he was found, rushed to the hospital. It immediately made the airwaves there was another man. He was on his way home and he heard on the radio that John Stennis had been shot, was in Walter Reed Hospital, turned his car around and went right to the hospital, walked in, assessed the situation. Back then they had switchboards and because of John Stennis, there were calls coming from all over the country and the world. He could see that the switchboard operators were overwhelmed and there was an empty one and he sat down 
And all the rest of that night, through the night, into the morning, into late morning, he worked the switchboard. Finally, things calmed down. And he got up, he put on his coat. And, and you can imagine the other switchboard operators, they know one another. Who is this guy? And, and so one of them finally said, sir, uh, who are you? And he said, uh, I'm Mark Hatfield. Glad to help. And he walked out. That would be Senator Mark Hatfield, 30-year senator for Oregon, a very staunch conservative. He never told the media he was there. He didn't tell anyone. Well, one of the switchboard operators eventually contacted the media, and the media didn't know what to do. Here we have a very progressive Democrat who is shot and a very conservative Republican. They think highly enough of one another that the Republican turns around on the highway, spends the entire night, the next morning, serving without any publicity whatsoever somebody else. That's the mind of Christ. That's the mind of Timothy. That's the mind that God calls you, me, us to put on. Friends, I trust this morning that we will not be limited by our limitations. We all have them. They're different. For Timothy, he was young, he was sickly, he was timid. He would not be limited by those limitations. Maybe you're here today and, and you have musical acumen, musical ability. But you say to yourself, you know what? <laughs> I, I can never play in front of a congregation. Don't be limited. Maybe you say, you know, I, I have a pretty good understanding of the Bible, but I could never lead a small group. Don't be limited by your fears. Maybe you say, you know, I'm too young or I'm too old or I'm too something to work with children. I love children, but I couldn't work in the nursery or children's church or Sunday school. Don't be limited by limitations. Go for it. Maybe you say, I do know the gospel, but I don't know about sharing the gospel with somebody. Just this week, uh, a friend of mine sent me a prayer request and said, would you pray? I'm, I'm going to go meet with someone, someone in a crisis situation. I've been sharing the gospel with this person. I'm going to go share the gospel again. We all can do it. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality and, and you can invite a friend over and say, hey, can we watch this DVD of a sermon and then let's have coffee and talk and, and discuss what we learned. We can all do it. We all have limitations, but if we have the mind of Christ, if we have the attitude of servanthood, we go beyond our limitations way beyond our limitations. And we allow the Holy Spirit to empower us to do his work, his bidding for his glory. Thank you for so many of you who serve so well in so many ways in our community, in our church, for the gospel, for God's glory. Well done. Well, in a moment, I'm gonna pray. Uh, Look forward to seeing some of you next week at Will Springs. And again, want to remind you, if you're a budding artist, you got a little bit of time on your hands, I would love to see a few of my coworkers attached to Shrek or Donkey. And for the one I like best, I'll be sending you a, a gift card for you and a friend to enjoy some time at Bricks. Well, let's pray.
Father God, uh, I want to be a Timothy. I want to grow up to be a Timothy who believes that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, who hides your word in our heart and lives it out, who is not limited by our fears, our timidities, our barriers, but empowered by your spirit goes beyond them to advance your kingdom. Allow us to be Timothy, Timothy-like, whether we're very young or we're very senior. And Father, allow us to value age and maturity and life experience to see those more mature than us as you do as deposits of wisdom that we ought to mine well and learn from. Father, help us to live in ways that brings glory to your name. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.